Hello, I'm Emily Bellet, founder of BestPod, author of You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich, and you're listening to The Wallet. Every week we give you the best tips, guidance, and a good dose of inspiration and motivation to manage your money better. My kids started to ask me for pocket money. They are very interested in BestPod, of course, and how to spend and save money. Teaching kids is a big responsibility, but it is important, as research suggests children from their earliest memory habits from the age of seven. I'm super happy to welcome Davinia Tomlinson, the founder of RainCheck. Last year, she told me how she discovered that her own definition of wealth extends beyond finances and has since been inspired to follow her own path. Dav now moved to the Caribbean with her family and published a brilliant book, Cash is Queen, the world's first money book written exclusively for girls. We talk about social pressure around money, financial literacy, pocket money, and a life philosophy. Want to give your money an opportunity to grow this year? Wealthify makes investing simple by choosing and managing your investments for you. And if you open a Wealthify plan and invest at least £50 by 30th of June 2023, they'll give you an extra £50. Terms and conditions apply. New customers only. The offer is capped at the first 500 customers. Find out more and claim the offer at wealthify.com slash the wallet. With investing, your capital is at risk and you could get back less than you put in. Wealthify is regulated and authorized by the Financial Conduct Authority. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. So I'm super happy uh, to have you on the wallet today, uh, especially because I saw you a few weeks ago launching your book, yes. uh, Cash is Queen, which is beautiful. So I wanted to talk about that today, but also your life, the dad we, <laughs> you know, we may not know, <laughs> who lives in the Caribbean and, and, the, and the type of life um, you've chosen and how you manage, you know, ambition with like family and, and running your your own business, because I think that's all linked to finances. Mm-hmm. Um so if we just start with the book, Cash is Queen, dedicated to, you know, young, directed at young girls. And you say to break down the basics of how young women of today can learn to understand and manage money and empowering skill that will last them a lifetime. Can you tell me a little bit more about yes. that? Yes. And so, as I, you know, as I was saying, kind of alluded to in my introduction, so Cash is Queen is my fourth child. Um, and it is a girl's guide. That's the, I mean, the subheader is it's a girl's guide to securing, spending and stashing cash and it really is my contribution to doing something to tackle the raging financial inequalities that women face when they reach adulthood by engaging young girls and teenagers very early on in their development. So, I mean, you and I, Emily, have talked before about this research, this very sto- sobering statistic that says that children form their earliest money habits by the age of seven. And I remember when I first stumbled across that maybe a year or two ago and really, you know, having to pause. It's like a sharp intake of breath when you hear that, because you think, you know, particularly as you know, mothers, you and I, and as a mother of daughters, you know, I've got a five year old and an eight year old. The idea that they are already learning so much about money from me. I mean, they learn all sorts of things from us. Right. You know, they pick up things by osmosis. But the idea that they are picking up money habits in particular and we know the impact of these money habits on our, you know, adult relationship with money. It really made me reflect on what more I could be doing with my daughters to make sure that they have a really positive relationship with money. 
And I suppose if you, you know, just fast forward past that point, you know, to when the opportunity came up for me to think about writing a book, originally the idea was that it would be an, a money book targeting women. And of course, given the work that I do, that, I do, that seems like a no-brainer. But when we started to do our research and really look at the landscape in terms of personal finance literature, not just in the UK, but overseas, there are a myriad books that already exist that target women. And that's a good thing because for too long we've been excluded from the discourse around money. So that's really important. I think it's a great development and it means that women have a number of options from which they can choose based on you know what their particular appetites are, what their reading habits are, all of these sorts of things. So we've got options when it comes to women's personal finance literature. But the one glaringly obvious omission was anything that was targeting preteens, so maybe, you know, your 10 or 11 year olds and teenage girls. And, you know, when we had conversations with the publisher and, and with the literary agent about it, we really felt that that was a missing opportunity. Um, because if you think that these young girls will grow into become young women and then they will be potentially confronted by a barrage of media headlines and, you know, industry stats that are talking about all of the challenges that they will potentially face when it comes to their finances. We've talked at length before about the gender pensions gap and the pay gap, and you've discussed it with other guests on this podcast. So we already know about some of the challenges that exist, but what we're not doing as well is to think about some of the solutions. How can we take these challenges and, you know, create a package of solutions that people can easily tap into and take grasp of their finances without going into a massive tailspin and a panic. And, you know, while young girls are in their formative years, that's our opportunity. That's really when we want to get in there, talk to them and, you know, motivate them around their money and help them to recognise that having a good grasp of their finances and solid financial foundations is the best springboard for everything that they might want to go on to do next. So that was really where Cash's Queen came in. And uh, I mean, I, I also we, we talk often about, you know, our kids and, <laughs> and how we, we talk about money with them. And, and I actually have three kids, but my, the two um, eldest ones are, are boys. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just wondering, you know, why? Sp I mean, I understand why you wrote this book specifically, um, you know, for girls. But do you think boys will have a better grasp of um, of money? Mm. You know, I think that actually the conversation around money needs to be opened up to boys and girls. So you're quite right to, to raise that. I think that one of the things that has been quite interesting for me is that there is still there is still evidence that boys are more, more proactive in having those conversations, in, in asking, you know, making those demands of their parents and other adults in their lives for things that they want. Um, I did some work with Festival of the Girl just uh, before Christmas And they, I mean, they're brilliant in the work that they do. But one of the things that they always talk about is some of the, the self-esteem issues that spring up for young girls, some of the confidence issues and the point at which, you know, that chasm starts to open up between boys and girls, you know, as it relates to self-image and, you know, all of those sorts of things. And it really made me think, again, you know, if you think as, of money as one of those things that, can, you know, societally we are conditioned to believe that, it's not necessarily something that girls should be talking about or, you know, maybe we should be, whilst it may not be overtly said that, you know, when you enter into a relationship that you perhaps should defer to your male partner or that should be his forte, um, you know, in heterosexual relationships. And so on that basis, you know, if you, all of that conditioning and socialization combines with what seems to be a trend towards young girls maybe needing a bit more encouragement, a bit more positive reinforcement to feel good about themselves and their identity. And Festival of the Girl, 
um, have highlighted that that seems to spring up around the age of eight. So not too far off, you know, when, you know, children of all ages are forming their earliest money habits, we've said at the age of seven, then it creates this perfect storm potentially where, you know, you're already thinking, oh, you know, maybe, you know, my friend looks better in that top than I do, or, you know, I feel a bit unsure about raising my hand in the classroom, whatever it might be, or I don't want to do PE anymore because I'm worried that, you know, I don't want to sweat and I don't want to, you know, make a fool of myself, you know, whatever it is that young girls start to think about. And, you know, we could talk at length about where some of those drivers come from. Of course, some of it is primary socialisation. It will be within the home. Some of it will be secondary socialisation, you know, what's happening in schools and, you know, other institutions that, you know, again, we're absorbing this stuff daily without necessarily thinking about it. And so for me, whilst definitely there needs to be a book for boys about money, and actually one of the good things about a book about money for boys would be that we can start to introduce some of these things, you know, and thinking about what does equity and equality look like from a financial perspective? You know, what kinds of role can you play as a young man who might potentially have a greater opportunity to accumulate wealth over your lifetime? How can you make sure that that's evenly split on the basis that you might potentially have a relationship with a woman? You have a mother, you'll have sisters and cousins that are women and you will all want to win. And so I really think there's a re- an opportunity to engage boys about that early as well. Hopefully they will read Cash's Queen and that will, will inspire them. Um, but if not, you know, we really need to take the time to focus on and invest in the development of our girls. And I think, you know, a lot of confidence comes from our ability to manage our money, f- perhaps far more than we would ever acknowledge. Yeah, and we know that, you know, yeah, financial well-being is so, is so important, even more so than, you know, the amount of money you're trying to accumulate mm. actually over your life. And that, you know, the reaching a certain level, um, that, that will convert in, you know, maybe no more happiness. So I think, and, and we'll talk about that, this relationship between, between money and money and happiness, maybe for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe to, to some of the, the parents listening, do you have like a few, of course, you have a lot of tips <laughs> and people should definitely read the book, but like, you know, how to help them build um, a foundation for better money habits. Yeah. You know, I think as parents, sometimes it can really feel like we're clobbered with so much advice and so, you know, all the ways that we could be doing things differently. And, you know, it feels like such a massive, we're almost in these kind of pressure cooker conditions. You're trying to do the best thing for them, for yourself, not have a nervous breakdown at the same time. You know, there's so much pressure on us all. And so I really think rather than this feeling like yet another thing to add to the to-do list, we should think of it as in the same way as we're investing in our own financial education, we're taking our children along on the journey with us. And so it might be as simple as opening up a conversation around money. And I always find that it's quite revealing when you have any kind of conversation that is seemingly adult-like with our children and you just throw out a very open question, you know, what do you what do you know about money? What do you think about money? And just see what comes up. Because they're quite entertaining anyway, children, but they're also much cleverer than we give them credit for at times. They know things that we think they don't know already. So I would start by just having a very open conversation. Maybe ask them something like, you know, how do you think mummy and daddy earn their money? How do you think money is spent in this household? You know, questions like that, just to start to explore what they already know. Um, I also think it's quite useful, you know, to engage them around very practical things in the home. So again, just following on from that conversation around you know, asking them where they think the sources of income come from in the household. You know, you might do, 
your shopping and you might take them if you're somebody that is still shopping in a supermarket. I am not anymore because I like to do everything online. But if you physically take your kids into a supermarket and, you know, asking them to pick up items from the shelf and what the price of those items is so they can start to familiarise themselves with how much things cost and also to familiarise themselves with a budget. So you might be saying, right, this is how much we've got we've got to spend on the supermarket shop. You can even do that online. You know, this is how much we've got to spend and we need to make sure that we're we're not filling our basket with any more than this amount. So I think, again, just, you know, really introducing in a really gentle, light way, make it, you know, a challenge, make it a game and just see what kinds of things they do, what kinds of questions they ask you. I think another thing that parents might consider doing is if they're in a position to do so, and not everybody is, so again, there's no pressure with this. You You can pick and choose the one that works for you. Consider introducing a children's bank account. So if you're able to contribute to that and then give them access. So, you know, there are a number of, you know, with the advent of fintech, there are so many brilliant child focused bank accounts now. Um, You know, Go Henry is a really popular one in the UK. There's also Starling Kite. I have no affiliation with either of them, but, you know, you can explore what works best for you. And so, again, introducing them to something that's just for them and empowering them to feel like you are in control of this money. What kinds of decisions might you make as a result? You know, one of the things that I always ask my girls, one of the mantras or maxims that we live by is that when we get money in the house, we will spend some and we'll save some. And so I'm trying to have that embedded within their psyche so that it just becomes second nature to them. And, you know, you can, again, use that as a learning moment without it feeling like something that's overbearing or something that everybody feels tense or stressed about. Just make it really light and relaxed. Um, And then the final thing that I would say is that, again, for anybody that's in a position to do so, paying pocket money. So there was a brilliant study that, again, Starling Bank had done towards the end of last year, so 2022, in which it was revealed that parents that paid their children pocket money um, or the children who receive pocket money have a 25 percent higher financial literacy rate than those that don't receive it. That is a really powerful statistic. And so for those people that are receiving it, I mean, the reason for the study in the first place is that there seems to be a gender pay gap that, that exists even in childhood. So in that same study, I think they, they surveyed 2000 UK parents of school aged children. So between four and 11 in age. And there seems to be a pay gap in terms of the pocket money that's paid to boys and girls of 20% in favour of boys. Now, again, there are a whole host of you know, contributory factors for that. The study is brilliant for anybody that wants to look that up. But this, again, just serves to illustrate the importance of really focusing on what we're teaching our young ladies about money, what we are empowering them to do, to, to advocate for themselves, to speak up. And that really has to start in the home so that they are just a handful of tips that I think people could use in their families. No, I... Yeah, I think these are these are great, and yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Don't put too much pressure on yourself, but there's so much you can do by just you know tagging activities to what you already do mm. um, and help your kids like build this 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 healthy like habits around money. I think a question I often get from the community is, you know, but what about schools? Like sh- schools should like educate our kids about money. I think now we have these uh, PSHE sessions where kids learn about. Um, you know, n- not bullying others, mm. feeling better about themselves, like expressing their their emotions, uh, being kind and compassionate. So why can't we add like another layer of 
you know, talking about money that's not in the math category, but more around like behaviors, maybe. Mm, it's such a good point. And I think, you know, particularly, you know, given the news that we've had recently with Rishi Sunak wanting to mandate math lessons up to 18, I think, for UK pupils. Um, and on the face of it, you know, I think I think that's a good look. I think for too long we have conditioned ourselves to accept, particularly for women and girls, you know, again, you know, this that some of the conditioning, the limiting beliefs that creep in around our relationships with numbers even, you know, I think we have, we've almost accepted innumeracy as something that is okay. You know, it's okay for, for you to not be good with numbers. It's okay to say, oh, I don't do math. I'm better with words. Despite the fact that, you know, I know that you will probably hear this again from lots of the women that you know and in the community, it's something that I hear quite commonly. And I always say, but you manage numbers every day of your life. You are managing your money. You will know if you spend something and you don't get the right change or if you've ordered something online and you didn't get your refund. Whatever it is, you are dealing with numbers all the time. You are aware and attuned to what's happening in your bank account. It doesn't mean you're obsessively focused on it but you will still be aware of it. You're managing numbers all the time. And I think we do ourselves a disservice by saying, you know, I don't do numbers. So on a baseline level, I think math until the age of 18, for those children that are still opted into further education, I think is a good look. But I do completely agree with you that it shouldn't be something, financial literacy shouldn't be something that's just kind of modelled in with all the rest of it. Um, you know, all the trigonometry and algebra and geometry and everything else, I think, sets actually a really good grounding for problem solving ability and your cognitive ability, critical thinking, these sorts of things. Financial literacy is a life skill. This is how do I manage my household income? How do I make sure that I've got sufficient cash flow to get me through this month? How do I know uh, how to use the information that I receive about my personal finance to make decisions, you know, to forecast You know, what do I want to do next quarter or next year? And we and even this language, you know, when we think about forecasting, we perhaps don't think of ourselves as, as business owners, but effectively your household is like a business, really. And at the start of the year, particularly around Christmas, that's when you see the flurry of holiday bookings, isn't it? So you'll be thinking, oh, where do we want to go this year? So, of course, you've got to forecast because you've got to say, well, first of all, when is suitable for us all to go? How much have we got in the pot to go to, you know, and on that basis, what are the options that are open to us? So we are using the information that we derive from our personal finances. It's just data to inform our decision making. That's really important. We have to view it in that way. This is just a tool to guide my decisions. You're not making decisions randomly. We know what happens when we make decisions randomly. We have chaos and it really disrupts our peace. And in, in, in order for us to preserve our financial well-being, we really have to take better control and a, a more solid grasp of what's happening with our money. And I think when, uh, I mean, one thing that's quite tricky for me when talking about money with it and kids, it's maybe the comparison that starts very early, mm -hmm. um, you know, between, between the kids, it can be, you know, uh, birthday parties, it can be where kids go on holidays or don't go on holidays, uh, the clothes they wear. I mean, in the UK, most, most of the kids are going to have uniform, which is a good mm -hmm. thing. Um, But how do you, do you address that and, and bring, you know, the, the value of money, the value of things and try to cutting off the noise uh, from, from a very young yeah. age? Oh, my gosh. That is like the million dollar question, isn't it? Because it's so, so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. And, and this is the thing. I, I think the one disclaimer I would give is that I actually I have I don't even have the right answer to this. But I know that one of the things that we do in our household, because I get all of those questions too. you know, oh, my friend's got a smartwatch, I want a smartwatch, or why can't I have a phone? My friend's got a phone or whatever it is. I think there's something about 
having a, almost a kind of set of guiding principles as parents or rules mm-hmm. that, you know, whatever you want to call them. In our household, we've set out quite clearly, you are not getting a phone until you're a teenager, for example. And so there's almost no point in Sophia, my eldest child, asking that question because I, I don't even respond because she knows the answer in advance. So I think having the guiding principles that everybody's clear about and you've given some context to. I know that, you know, this is a generational thing as well, because my parents and my grandparents would have been like, why are you explaining it to a child? It just is. You've told them and it just is. The way that I like to do it in my house is to set out the rule or the principle and give an explanation so that everybody's invested in the rule. You don't have to agree with it, but at least you understand the context. And then I think when it comes to money specifically, the one thing that I try to do is to make sure that it's linked to a specific goal or activity, something in particular that we are trying to pursue. So when we talk about the girls' investment accounts, for example, and I say, well, you'll be able to get access to it when you're 18. What kinds of things do you think you might like to be doing at 18? You know, maybe you'll be going to university, you might want to buy a car, you might want to travel. But these breadcrumbs that we are dropping over a period of years and you won't be able to get access to the money. And that's a good thing. The reason for that is that we are, again, thinking about deferring that gratification. You don't have to have everything immediately. It's a hard lesson to teach. But what you're trying to do is to remind them that it will taste far better if you let it mature a bit than if you eat it straight away before it's ripened. So that's one of the things that we discuss all the time. I think another thing is trying to get them to think independently. So I remember growing up in you know, my childhood, I had a very radical dad <laughs> who was very, um, you know, quite uh, contrarian in terms of his thinking and his approach. So we were always encouraged, not necessarily to go against the grain just for the sake of it, but to think about whether the popular decision, course of action, media, whatever it was, was the appropriate one. And this is where, you know, critical thinking, again, has to apply in the home as well as in schools and universities. It's about thinking, is that the right thing for me? So my friend has got that smartwatch. Why do I want it? I might want it because I like the gadgets or I like the games, but did I want it before they had it? That's a really important thing. And of course, for children, they might still be like, well, I want it because I want it. And, you know, sometimes you can't get any more sense out of them than that. But I think it really is important that we just, again, start to drop those seeds in their minds and they really start to think, why do I want it? Or maybe I can be the one that that is a leader in a different way in saying, I actually don't want that because maybe my priority is something else. And I love that for you because you really want it, but I don't want it. So again, it's kind of, you know, instilling in them, it's okay for someone to have something, you don't need to have that. Envy and jealousy and all of these things are very difficult emotions for young children to grasp but we just want to encourage them to think independently and freely and to be kind to one another. I think that's really good that they have that in PHSE. I didn't even know that that was what it was called, but yeah. (laughs) PSHE. But yeah, but but they're really hard things to do. I mean, a lot of it comes from modelling behaviour, doesn't it? So that they can see you saying, oh, you know, um, Auntie's just bought a new Range Rover, but we love this car. Or, you know, mommy's not actually into cars. So the girls know that I'm not really into cars. Their dad was really into cars. We always had, you know, this top of the range car. And I always used to feel a bit like, oh gosh, what a waste of money because cars are not my thing. My thing is premium skincare. So I have no qualms about blowing 150 pounds on a moisturizer. That's my thing. And I thought I can spend that money guiltlessly. But other things I'm like, oh my God, waste of money. So again, it's that, isn't it? It's being able to say, this is what I really like. I don't want a range because auntie's got one. I don't care about Range Rovers, you know? So I think it's, it's kind of modelling as well. 
I love that. And that's a perfect transition for the, the next topic I wanted to discuss with you just to, you know, wrap up. I mean, you've moved to the, to the Caribbean mm-hmm. um, quite recently. You, you know, you're building RainCheck. It's like an amazing business. You're now published a book. You're a speaker. So, you know, you have the ambition. You want to educate. You want to, you know, you have this purpose where you want to empower, you know, thousands, millions of women with your with your business. But you chose to do things um, differently, mm-hmm. um, you know, to leave London. That's like this busy place where people always want more, <laughs> more, more. And I know it's, it's a conversation we often have yeah. where we're like, you know, what is enough and what, what are we what are we chasing? You know, what are people chasing? What is this accumulation? Um, so I'm, I'm just interested to, to hear more about, um, you know, how you feel about life uh, in general. Mm. Yeah, that's a big philosophical question. Um, I, know. I think that you're quite <laughs> right. And, you know, I love the way that you framed that around the choice, because I think despite us all, you know, we all know really amazing women in our network or really amazing people. We've got lots of inspiring people around us. But I think for me, I, again, and this perhaps comes back to this kind of contrarian thinking, it's not necessarily about doing things differently just for the sake of it. It's about focusing inwardly and saying, how does this feel for me? And London is a place that I absolutely love. I'm a Brummie, of course, but I lived in London 17 years. But I, the, the energy that London gave me, that vibrancy, the ambition and the drive, really, I, you know, I don't think I could have got that anywhere else. It's such an incredible city. But there came a point, like lots of us, you know, you become a mom, like you're just chasing, you know, I did an MBA, I'm trying to climb the corporate ladder, I became a mom, so I'm ticking off this list, I'm doing all the things that I really want to do. And then there's this point where I'm like, I can't even remember what what I'm doing these things for. I mean, outside of being a mom, which was kind of, you know, a thing that as young as being, as, as early as being a young child, I was like, you know, I really would like to be a mom. That was just a thing that I, you know, I knew very clearly in my mind. That wasn't something I drifted into. But the other things I was like, well, I'm following this blueprint and this roadmap of success. And I know that these are the expectations that my family have of me. And I'm fulfilling all of them. And I'm getting married at the right age. And then I'm having children. I'm doing things in the right order and in the right way, seemingly. And I didn't have an empty feeling, but I definitely had reached burnout. And I was like, I'm burnt out for doing the things that society is dictating that I should be doing and my family and friends. So this is what is expected within my peer group. But what's the point? <laughs> like, I, You know, it's a bit of a, this kind of existential crisis that not everybody has, but certainly in my 30s, I was like, I want to feel like I'm pursuing these things for something. Rain Check was the embodiment for me of, you know, the accumulation of all of, all of my professional exp- expertise, but then working with people that I really wanted to work with, you know, getting the opportunity, you know, I love women. I always vibe off women. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm privileged to know some incredible ones, which have just made the work that I do really easy, despite all of the admin and everything else that we know is associated with being a business owner. But I think when I started to take a step back and peel back all the layers of, right, well, with this job goes the designer handbags and the designer shoes, but also go, goes with it, the stresses and the strain of, dropping my kids at nursery at seven and not picking them up till 6.30. So I don't see them till the weekend and they're small. And that did just felt, started to feel uncomfortable for me. And I know that that's a challenge that lots of moms face and, you know, figure out ways to work around. But I still wanted to work. That was quite important to me. So I was like, well, how can I configure that? And then it was, is this the right environment for me? Like London has given me so much. As I said, I'm a big extrovert. I was getting a lot of energy from being around some amazing people. But then at a certain point, I was kind of, I tipped over the edge and I was like, now it's just draining all the life out of me. 
But I know that when I go to this specific location in the Caribbean, this island, I'm re-energised. I have peace. And there's nothing there. There's nothing here. I mean, there's, on this island, there's a population of 30,000. <laughs> there's no one here. For an extrovert, that's a bit of a problem, right? So then you have to, again, reflect on, well, Dad, but you are your own biggest hype man. You are your own source of energy. And, you know, you, you love to be near the sea. The sea, you know, gives you peace instantly. The sunshine re-energizes you. It's an amazing quality of life for the girls. You can co-parent effectively with their dad from here. He loves it here too. You know, all of the things just started to fall into place. And it made me think, but Dav, exactly as you des- you've described, Emily, you have a choice. Why are you living life passively and just letting things drift? Because that's what you think other people expect of you. And because I'm, as I, I mean, I'm quite a radical anyway, I'm like, but I want to do things my way. <laughs> and I don't want to be bound to the group norm of this is how we do things. And then we retire and then we live life. I'm like, now I want to, I want to live whatever the retirement plan would have been now. So if the retirement plan would have been moved to the Caribbean, I'm not waiting till I'm 65 to do that. I want to make it work now, enjoy the experience and see where life evolves. So it's really, again, it's one of the things we talk about in the Rainmakers Academy, which is what is your dream life and what steps can you take towards that dream life? And so having, it doesn't mean that, you know, some, somebody asked me, does that mean you're financially free? And I was like, well, what does that mean? And I think what she meant was you don't need to work. And I'm like, I absolutely need to work. I have daughters (laughs) and I have my own expenses. I need to work. But it's about working in such a way that I feel really inspired at the end of each day. You can still feel tired. You can still feel frustrated. But I'm like, well, I'm working and I'm doing the work that I love to do in a location I love. And so actually I've cultivated an existence that feels fulfilling and feels worthwhile rather than me just being a zombie. So, yeah. I feel like I could, it's I a whole, it. that could be a whole thing, the move to the Caribbean, but yeah. <laughs> I know, and it's a conversation we often have on, you know, WhatsApp, yeah. when we manage to, you know, to see each other and catch up. I think it's, it's really important in this, especially with, you know, the work we're doing with Check and Vespod is really thinking about, you know, what's the journey, like your money journey, but first starting with your goals, but I guess it's really starting with what you, what you want in life and writing it down and what you don't want. For me, that was a lot of what I don't want. And I'm still, you know, in London and stuff, but I'm, I manage my, my own hours and mm. stuff. So there's a lot of, of flexibility. Um, but it takes, yeah, it takes a while. Changes, um, you know, meditation, thinking mm-hmm. about the long term and, uh, and keeping on your own path. But thanks, Dav. One final question I have for you. If you could talk to a young dad, <laughs> 16 year old, <laughs> what would you say to her? Um, and maybe what, you know, um, what do you know now that you wished you knew back then? Yeah, you know, I think um, and I always say that my my real journey to properly being in control of my money happened when I became a homeowner in my 20s. And that was suddenly when I realised, oh, my God, is this what has been going on with mom and dad this whole time? Like, I've just got paid and now all the money's flying out of my account by direct debit. I just remember being horrified. Like, is this is this what it is to be an adult? This is rubbish. Like, <laughs> anyway, um, so the thing that I would probably set, tell 16-year-old Dav is um, there's one very specific thing which we cover in the book, which is keep a close eye on your credit. You know, don't feel that because the bank offers you 
seemingly free money, your overdraft, a student credit card, doesn't mean you have to take it. You know, I was very lucky to be supported by my parents through university. I did have a part-time job, didn't need an overdraft, didn't actually even realise that it existed until I moved down to London. Um, But then when I was offered a credit card, and it was one of the newest innovations at the time, it was Egg, which I think then was acquired by Prudential and, you know, went on to be acquired subsequently. But it was this new flashy credit card, clearly targeting younger people. And so I think I didn't need that credit card, but I took it anyway because it had a 0% balance transfer and that seemed exciting. And then what happens is you suddenly start to introduce these habits that, you know, of everything has to be instant. You know, at the time I was going to university, it was at the advent of Google, the advent of the Internet and, you know, later social media and everything else. So I suppose I wasn't as seduced by, you know, buy now, buy now in the way that younger people might be. So that is a, a, a more a greater risk for them. And so on that basis, I do think it's important to just be mindful if something seems too good to be true, you know, buy now, pay later on, you know, all of the, the fashion items that you want to have. It doesn't mean don't have them, but if you can't afford to pay for them up front, then maybe that is should give you cause for pause in thinking, hmm, do I actually need this right now or should I wait until I get paid for my part-time job or whatever? Um, so I think that would be my biggest lesson, just keeping a close eye on your credit. Fortunately for me, I, I never got to a stage of destroying my credit, but I certainly got into sticky situations where when I did, when I was introduced to getting a credit report, for example, I was probably 19, and I saw that it, it I think it said good instead of excellent. And I was like, well, why wouldn't it be excellent? Because I haven't, cool. you know, <laughs> and because I'd missed a payment on my mobile phone um, bill that I didn't realise or I'd missed, you know, I've got this credit card and it's like, oh my God, I don't even know what I'm doing so it's important to just be on top of things. It doesn't mean avoid debt completely. Just have a healthy relationship with debt, but don't feel that every opportunity that is presented to you is one that you should accept when it comes to your money. Thank you so much, Dav. Thanks for you know sharing this conversation today. Cash is Queen is out uh, and you can find the links to order your copy in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wallet. Please share this show with your friends and subscribe on your favorite platform. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps more people find our show. Speaking about kids, we're taking a break next week for half term. I'll be in France for a week, so you can expect your next episode on Thursday, 23rd of Feb. I'll be chatting about investing with Michel Piersberg, co-founder and chief strategy officer at Wealthify, about how to make investing more affordable and easy to understand even for those that aren't stock market experts.